everybody. Welcome to this episode of Two Gals and Some Data. Today, I've got two guys joining me from Navistone's business development team, Herb Yost and Chris Lomko, who are here to not only talk data with me, but talk about how you can use data to make more money. Thanks and welcome, Herb and Chris. Hi, thanks for having us. I asked you two to join me today, and I feel lucky that I actually got you two pinned down on the same day because you've been on the road tirelessly back in front of brands and attending industry conferences and events. And that's actually the reason why I wanted to get you two today. With all of the activity over the past quarter, I thought it would be really interesting to talk about some of the themes and key takeaways from the events that you've attended. So I'll start it off with a question to both of you. How was it being back in person at conferences after so long of having virtual events? Chris, why don't you start us off? Well, first of all, it's amazing to be back in front of people after being virtual for so long. We all had to do that necessary thing of using Teams and utilizing those tools uh, that we had to for the pandemic. There's no doubt about it. But for me, there's nothing that beats being in person with those like-minded professionals, both brand and solutions providers who are there with the common goal of solving challenges and continuing their education on how to ultimately be better. And doing that in person, nothing beats it. Yeah. Herb, what about you? Yeah. Thanks, Lori. I absolutely agree with Chris. And, you know, the events that I was at, there was probably a thousand people there. So it was really amazing. I always knew this, but I learned that 3D is better than 2D, being in front of someone. And thankfully, we did have Zoom to use, like Chris said, over the last couple of years. It was great, but there's nothing beats being in front of someone. So it was wonderful. Yeah, I think a lot of what you've both talked about was maybe how I would categorize it as that human connection. And yeah, there were great tools during COVID times that helped us get through it, but it really is hard to replicate that human connection or the human experience. And I don't mean to make this conversation self-serving and about Navistone, at least not this early in the podcast, but you know, we know that direct mail has made a strong comeback. And in large part, it's because of that connection that physical, tangible, and personalized piece of advertising really enables brands to connect with those consumers. And I think that's really all about that part of that human experience. I think there might've been a session about the human experience at CRMC as well that I'm kind of curious about. Yes, there was a wonderful uh, workshop on customer experience becoming the human experience. And the human experience was defined as the total experience a consumer has with a brand or service in the digital and physical space. So a couple of headlines, Lori, were that you need to love your customers more than ever as you, if you're a business. Uh, about 80% of people have changed their shopping habits with their human experience since the pandemic. And consumers are looking for a frictionless symmetry or synergy between online and offline. And really looking for personalization and being authentic and again, helping them and looking at the best experience. And there was a, a really great quote that I saw. You know, I love quotes. And my, one of my mentors shared this with me. If you're a business and you're working with your customers and the human experience, think this. How can I serve you as a human being and not just sell you something? It's really the, the golden rule. So yeah. it was all about that. And by the way, 75% of business is still done on 
in retail stores versus online. So there's still a lot of human engagement there. Chris, you were at CRMC as well. Any key takeaways from your time there? The one thing I loved about CRMC is it gave clients and partners both a chance to share their successes in front of other marketers and partners. And so while you're there at this event, there are several workshops throughout the event where both clients and marketers will share out specific examples of they had a problem and they implemented X and they got X results. The thing that I think I like most about CRMC was the speakers. They retain these world-class speakers. And one example was a young lady, her name is Jenny Lim. And Jenny is an author. She's written several books and she had co-founded an organization called Delivering Happiness. And she co-founded this with the late co-founder slash CEO of Zappo Shoes, Anthony Zai. They were friends. And when she wrote this book, it turned into a best-selling book, which then turned into a business consultancy, which then turned into a global movement. What she does is she will go into these organizations with the focus on how to teach them to create happier workplaces that are led ultimately with happiness and humanity. And when you do that, your profit gets larger because you're able to have happier customers and happier employees. And so when she spoke, she exuded this happiness and this peace. And you know, when you go to these uh, conferences, you see these speakers on stage, but, but seeing her live it and exude it, it was, uh, it was truly refreshing. So I would say those are my two takeaways, two top takeaways were speakers and the overall transparency at CRMC. I know you also attended GRMA. I know it's been a favorite of attendees. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit about that event as well. GRMA is one of the best conferences I think I've attended. I think my favorite part there was the speakers. So, you know, they touch base on several different topics through the world. So for example, this gentleman had a background that was not only as an economist, but he worked in DC politics. He worked with all of the politicians on a world level. He consulted with them. So his inside view into the global economy, the global supply chain, all of those variables that we've talked about, it really felt like it felt like a college class more in the presentation. It was truly, truly so thought provoking. It led to the best conversation that you can really have at these conferences that are really thoughtful, that form those relationships, that create great follow-ups for after the conference as well. Yeah, Chris, I'm definitely going to get back to that because I do think that that is a big benefit of attending conferences, kind of that hallway chatter that happens after. But I want to just spend another couple of minutes on the global economist that you were talking about. When he was talking about some of those real life day-to-day challenges that we're dealing with today, what specifically was he talking about? Did he share any insights around future and what we can be expecting or potential solves for some of those challenges? This conference took place back in early May. So let's go back about a month and a half before it made headlines. He came out and he said, I just want to tell you right now, there's going to be a famine Q4 2022. Reasoning was the war in Ukraine and Russia, there are specific things that Russia is doing to close certain ports in Ukraine. 
And Ukraine happens to be one of the largest exporters of grain. And Russia happens to be the producer of 80% of the world's fertilizer. That fertilizer in all likelihood will not be delivered for certain crops. And with Ukraine's ports being shut, they most likely will not be able to grow and export the grains that feed so many people around the world. And so he had predicted that. And weeks after, here we are. They're already starting to experience that. So Laura had all of those challenges. He would say something like that, and then he would kind of roll into another topic. Famine was one of them. And then he also started talking about the supply chain, which kind of catapulted off that, but both were equally as eye-poking. Yeah, well, I think uh, your point about supply chain is actually a really interesting one. I don't at all mean to diminish any predictions around famine. I'm just kind of curious if that theme around supply chain challenges was one that had surfaced. You know, the marketers there, as well as some of the speakers, this one in particular, everybody has their own kind of viewpoint. And I think that the viewpoint overall was, it just has to get better. I was very surprised that some of the marketers I spoke with, though, Lori, said supply chain, absolutely an issue, but more importantly, or equally as important, is our staffing shortages because we can't fulfill all of our marketing strategies that we want to because we can't hire the right people. And that was an eye poke for me. So we want to do this, but we can't because we just don't have the people to do it. Yeah, I think that's actually one of the things that does worry me when you just think about the cycles of supply and demand. So we're challenged right now with supply. And so we're pulling back on some of the programs that would be driving demand, either because we don't have the inventory or because we don't have the staff to manage those type of programs. But the supply challenges are going to correct themselves. And when they do, we will not have been continuing with the efforts around creating that demand. So that is definitely something that I think about keeps me up at night sometimes, you know, how we balance both of those challenges so that we don't find ourselves overcompensating for one by creating a challenge with the other. Lori, a couple things that I heard similar to what Chris was saying at ETAIL in terms of the staffing. I had dinner with several folks one night and they were saying they're having a hard time hiring people just because they require them to be in the office three days a week. So that was one thing. And actually, I think you were with me on this. We had another where we were talking to a gentleman about some business ideas, and he was looking at a product and he couldn't get zippers for the product, if you Mm -hmm. remember that. He said, that's a two to three month delay. So yeah, there the rubber hits the road. He's ready to to do something with marketing, but he didn't have the product part, a component to the product. So yes. Yes, it definitely is a delicate balance between the issues of supply and demand. Herb, what what else? You mentioned um, e-tail. Tell me a little bit about e-tail and what other topics or themes surfaced at that event. This was uh, in Fort Lauderdale, and it was in early May. And it's an invite-only group of 75 senior-level executives in retail and brand. And they collaborate together to look at their digital strategy and how they can have e-commerce growth. There was three main topics over the days, and I'll mention them and I'll really talk to basically two of them. But one was, what are some of the current e-commerce trends and how retail is evolving? And then another one is acquiring and retaining customers in today's world. And then the last was uh, putting DEI, sustainability, and CSR at the heart of your work culture. So a couple of things that rang true to me on current e-commerce trends. 
zero and first party data are crucial. If I could just interrupt you for a second, I did hear a lot about zero and first party data as well. And so I just want to paint that differentiation for maybe some who don't know. So first party data is that data that a company is collecting directly from its customers. Zero party data is that data that consumers are intentionally sharing, both of which are very different from third party data, which is collected by an external source. And really first party and zero party data is absolutely the way the industry is trending and the way that marketers need to be thinking about data collection and data usage. So I I heard the same thing. Exactly. And actually, Chris knows this also, the zero party data came up in that human experience workshop as well at CRMC. So yeah, very good. But despite all the changes, businesses still need to create a relationship with the customer in the market. And it's all about sending the right message at the right time. So important. Personalization is more important than ever. And again, with moving toward a potential cookie-less environment, one of the speakers, the topic was about referring to their customers, somebody that I used to know because of the cookies going away. So that yeah, that's, that's shaking up the industry. And then obviously acquiring and retaining customers, and that's always been a passion of mine, getting a customer is wonderful, then developing them into a lifelong customer. But a couple things here, there was a gentleman that spoke at work for Nordstrom. And he was talking about that in today's world, digital and physical retail touch points are colliding. So the consumer needs a seamless experience, like we mentioned, a frictionless synergy from the, the human experience workshop. So he was talking in detail about a drugstore chain, and he was talking about Nordstrom's and the old story of somebody buys online and they pick up in store and how they changed the design and some of the things they did at Nordstrom's. And lo and behold, as I'm hearing this, I'm like, wait a minute, I just bought something at Nordstrom's. And sure enough, I ordered it online, went to the King of Prussia mall. And there in one end of the store was a great area set up people to come in, pick up items. The line went quickly. The shelves were back there. They could get the items very fast as well. So it was a wonderful, seamless experience for me. And guess what? I will absolutely order there again. So he touched on that. And it was something, again, the store design. I never thought that much about it in terms of the customer experience. And then there was another headline on, it's great to look at adding channels, but let's look at optimizing channels themselves. And this speaker said we should have a thought of not going from impressions, but focusing on profitability and looking at ROAS and CPM per channel. So eliminate the channels that aren't productive and aren't profitable and focus on your best customers. Even if you hit them six, seven, eight times, that's okay. Really work on optimizing the channel. So that was a couple of the headlines. And then finally, on the uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, sustainability, and corporate social responsibility, great speakers on that. The headline was progress, not perfection. So, Yeah, I love that. There was something that you had shared when you were talking about the Nordstrom story that just made me think about the importance of bridging the gap between online and offline. I know that we've talked about this for years, organizations that have really operated in silos where they think about the online channel one way and the offline channel another way, and the importance of really bridging that gap. And I think the experience that you shared about Nordstrom is a great one where that gap is really being closed. And I think that can carry through to our marketing programs as well. Like we really need to be conscious of those programs that can help bridge that gap because it is all about 
at one customer and uh, leveraging data from one channel to create a positive experience overall. So I think that was a, a great example. Let me just go back real quickly. We talked about the different conferences and the speakers, but I want to talk about that hallway chatter. I know you had both touched upon that. I had mentioned that I wanted to get back to it. Chris, I loved how you said that the presentations that you attended really led to that thought-provoking, informal conversations that were able to be had later on. I know I experienced that at some of the events that I went to as well. But question for both of you, what was some of the informal discussions, that hallway chatter that you heard after the sessions? Those tend to be the things that you know really are front of mind for marketers. So I'm kind of curious what those conversations were like. At GRMA, they have group activities. And one of the activities I participated in was a dolphin cruise. And so it was a day after some of those speakers I referenced. And so we all had a night to sleep on it. And the next day we were talking about it. And I was in front of the VP of marketing for one of our, they provide tax services. They're a pretty large company that provides tax services to people. So her and I had this really informal conversation overall about staff shortages, what they're experiencing, as well as what it means for them when there is a paper shortage. Because sometimes we forget that, yes, we are marketers and there are several of us in this space that rely on paper for direct mail, for whatever. But there are also clients who rely on paper for inserts with credit card statements, credit card statements themselves. So when paper supply is low and we marketers have that challenge, it also affects our clients in various ways, not just from a marketing standpoint. So those were really, really, really good conversations to have because again, the guard is put down. And when I'm hearing exactly what they're going through from their perspective, you know, next time I call that person, I will reference that, not because I'm trying to sell it, because I, I truly care. I truly care what she's going through. And I would never have had that experience if I wasn't there. Yeah, great. Herb, how about you? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, and I've, I've heard this through my career, and it was emphasized at the conferences. It's all about growing comp sales. And a lot of people's comp sales have been flat. I had someone in my career tell me, Herb, if you can help a senior executive grow their comp sales, they'll let you babysit their grandkids, which is probably true. And so again, with comp sales being flat and a lot of sales were shifting to uh, online versus in store, that's they're trying to balance that out. Three or four people I were talking to said they're concerned that they have one-time buyers. What can they do to drive frequency of buying? How can they stay in front of a previous buyer that's not been part of their loyalty program. Yeah, they were some of the some of the, the ones. And can I say something else, Lori? Of course. Thank you. So what's interesting too is as Herb was at ETL and I was at GRMA, and then we both went to CRMC. The interesting part is we start seeing the same people, right? So you start seeing some of the similar faces as you start doing the conference tour. And what starts off at the first conference of being this hallway chatter, like you just mentioned, and, and we elaborated on. Then the next conference is, well, let's get a little more personal now. And so there are many of those hallway chatters where it wasn't about business. It was about your family and your kids and where they go to college or high school or whatever that is. And truly refreshing because marketers are human beings. <laughs> and when we go to these conferences, sometimes 
you know, or not sometimes, but you see that firsthand that, hey, this is a real person, not just a voice or a face on a screen when we're trying to do business. So that part of it to me was equally as important. You know, Chris, um, I had a couple of other questions that I wanted to ask, but that is a perfect way to end this <laughs> podcast. I think that is a great reminder for all of us. So thank you for that. I truly could go on talking with you both for hours, but we're at the end of our time. And I really appreciate you sharing insights with the hope that some of our listeners benefited from some of the learnings you had and as if they were at the events themselves. So that will do it for this episode of Two Gals and Some Data. Until next time, if you want to read more from us, check us out at navistone.com slash blog. And if you enjoyed today's show, head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Thank you for listening and thanks Herb and Chris. Bye.